You know, as I was uh, preparing for this Sunday and kind of looking at, you know, what the world is saying about mums, I came across, you know, a few places that were talking about the typical things that mums say. You know, mum-isms? I wonder if you've heard some of these before. Typical mum-isms. Because I said so, that's why. Amen. Calvin's heard that before. How about this one? Don't make me come over there. I know my son loves this one. Eat your vegetables, you know, they're good for you. Come on, Ben. I heard this one when I was a kid. Don't make me turn this car around, young man. How about this? If you keep making that face, it's going to freeze that way. Leave your sister alone. Leave your brother alone. Uh, Mumisms. Hey, if you want to live under my roof, you follow my rules. I think some mums have said that one. This next one has certainly been heard in our house. Your room is a disaster. Now, I don't know about this next one. I don't know who came up with it. It's been around for a long time. But it goes like this. Make sure you put on clean underwear because you never know if you're going to be in an accident. Now, come on, moms. I guarantee if your son or daughter are in an accident, you're not going to be concerned about their underwear. I'm just saying. How about this last one? Mumism. I love you. You will always be my baby. Moms, we love you back. And moms are fantastic. Today, we really want, we wanted today to be an encouragement, a time for us to honor moms and to say yes, to champion moms in their role in our lives and to say thank you for all that you have done in our lives. Um, as I was reflecting on uh, the moms that have been a part of my life, um, I came across some, some, some words that kind of characterized um, mums in my mind. The first word is I think mums are often determined, very determined. I mean, when it comes to their family, they're passionate and ambitious. You know what I'm saying? Don't get in the way of mama bear and her cub. When it comes to mums, for the sake of their family, mums can be unstoppable, determined. Another word that came to mind was mums are often dedicated I mean, for the sake of their family, when it comes to commitment and being intentional, moms are incredibly focused. Time and energy. I mean, think of all the taxiing moms do and all the cleaning and cooking and working outside the home and working in the home. All the stuff that they do, they're dedicated. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? The last word that came to mind was lots of moms are devoted. devoted. They're loyal. They're sacrificial for their families, and we see that in the ways that they love us. And as I reflected, my mom passed away in 2004, and those words, determined, dedicated, devoted, were characteristics of my mom. My mother-in-law, Barb, and by the way, thank you for praying for her. We're encouraged by what God's doing in, in her body, and we appreciate your prayers so much as a family. And, and Barb, Barb has those characteristics for sure as well. And then, and then my wife, the mother of my children, Deb, this characterizes her, determined and dedicated and devoted. And I praise God for the godly moms that he's put into my life and the impact that they've made on me. But I have something else to share with you this morning. Moms 
are not perfect. Okay, I'm done. That's the end. You know, as great as moms are, and they are great, and I got to be honest, in, in our home situation, when it comes to who's most often right, it's not me. It's Deb. But moms, as great as they might be, are not always perfect. They're not always right. And so today when we go into God's Word, we're going to look at the story of a mom who messed up. She was a good mom, but she messed up. And we're going to look at at her story of how a situation of failure turned into success. But before we do, let's just, let's just come together uh, in prayer with the Lord one more time, and then we'll get into God's Word. Father, thank you for this day that we can praise you for the gift of moms. Thank you, thank you for the way that you've designed the family. And uh, Lord, I praise you for uh, the moms that have been in my life, the moms that have had influence in your kingdom work, Lord, and we praise you for that. And yet I know, Lord, that, that all moms that are here today need encouragement, and families need encouragement, Lord. All of us need encouragement. So we thank you for the power of your word, how it transforms, how it teaches us, how it enables us to be better followers of you. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work here this morning, not because of my words, but because of the power of your word, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, we're going to look at the story of a mom who messed up. The story is found in Matthew 20, and you can turn there. And we're going to hang out in Matthew 20 for a little bit. But before we get into that passage, I just want to set a couple scenes for you. The first scene that I want to set is to introduce you to the family. To the family that's part of the story. And the first character in the family is the dad, the father. His name is Zebedee. Isn't that a great name, Zeb? Matthew and Rebecca, I know you're looking for a name for your little guy that's coming along. How about Zeb? Zebedee Jones. That just sounds pretty good, Matt. (laughs) Zebedee Jones. I'm just saying. Well, the father in this story was Zebedee. That was his name. And he he only appears once in the New Testament. But we find out a few things about Zebedee. First of all, he was probably successful. He was probably prosperous because it tells us in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1 that he had hired servants. He had people working for him as a fisherman. So we just see him in this one scene where he's on the shore mending the fishing nets with his son, with the hired crew. And Jesus comes into that scene and he calls his boys to follow him. Outside of that, we don't really feel, see any other follow-up about Zebedee. We don't know much more about him. There's no indication that he went on the journey in terms of following Christ on the road. But we also don't get any sense that he got in the way of what his family was doing in terms of following Jesus. So we assume that he was supportive of that. But that's the little that we know about Zebedee. Let's come to the two boys now, James and John. James and John were called by Jesus to follow him. And we're told in God's word that they immediately left their boat, they left the nets, they left their father, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus, we read in Mark 3, gave them a little nickname. Jesus came up with the nickname for James and John, Sons of Thunder. Now, moms, I'm wondering how many of you feel like you have some Sons of Thunder in your family. That idea that Jesus was naming them on with these two guys... 
that word uh, for sons of thunder meant fiery commotion. I mean, when James and John got together, it was feisty. All right? So can you just imagine when Peter, strong-willed, strong-headed Peter and James and John, the sons of thunder, got together? It was a mix-up. But we know that James and John were fishing partners of, of Simon Peter. And there's this great story in Luke 5 when Jesus comes to Peter and says, he's been teaching in his boat, and he says, hey, let's go out into deeper water and let's go fishing. And Peter and the boy say, hey, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But if you want to go fishing, we'll take it fishing. And so they go out with Jesus, and there's this great story where they go out with Jesus, they put their nets down, and the nets are overloaded with fish, and the nets break. And it's at that moment when they come back they come back to shore, we're told that James and John and Peter, that they leave everything behind and they follow Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to turn you from fishermen into fishers of men. And so that's a little bit about James and John. And now finally we come to the mum. And the mum's name was Salome. And we're told in God's word that Salome was part of a group of women who followed Jesus, they accompanied him on his final journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, to the cross. She's described as one of Jesus' friends in Luke 23, 49. Now, it's possible that Salome was a sister to Jesus' mother, Mary. It's possible that James and John were cousins. We don't know that for sure. It's kind of inferred a little bit in John 19, 25, but it's not something that we're certain of. But there could have been a family connection there. But what we do know is that, G, that, that she was part of that group that cared for Jesus and that she actually went on the journey with her sons. So that's a little bit of the background of the family. Here's the other thing I want you to realize is what's been happening in the story of Jesus and his followers in the chapters that set up Matthew 20. First of all, I want you to note that Jesus has told the followers three times he has predicted his death and his resurrection. And in fact, in Matthew 16, verse 21, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to Jerusalem uh, to be crucified, and three days later to be raised. And he sets that up for the first time, and then there's two other times. In Matthew 17, it's recorded. And then right before the story that we're going to look at today, it's recorded a third time. So Jesus has been telling his followers, here's what's happening. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. So he set that up. And then in between those predictions, there's a few other things that happen. In Matthew 16, Jesus has been teaching the disciples what it means to be a follower. And he says, you need to take up your cross, and you need to follow me. And he's using language like, you need to lose your life and find it in me. Because if you try to find your life in the world, you're going to lose it. So he's teaching them things like this. And then there's this amazing thing that happens in chapter 17. It's recorded in, in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus takes Peter... James and John, that trio, he takes them up in the mountain, and, and he's glorified there. We see Jesus being transfigured, and James and John and Peter are part of that. And then, of course, there's this story, as he continues to teach his followers what it means to be a disciple, he says this, if you want to be great, you need to humble yourself like a little child. 
Humble yourself like the little child is how to be great in God's kingdom. And then there's the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus uh, encounters the question about what it means to be a follower and Jesus tells the rich young man, go and sell all of your possessions. And sadly, it's recorded in the Gospels that he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Peter sees that scenario and of course, Peter starts to say, hey, Lord, look at us. Look what we've done. We've left everything. I know that guy doesn't want to follow you. He doesn't want to give up his wealth, but we've left everything to follow you. And then Peter asks the question, so what's in it for us? What then will we have? And Jesus graciously responds, yes, there will be thrones. Yes, there will be rewards. Yes, there will be eternal life. But once again, Jesus presses the issue about what it means to be a servant disciple. And he says, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So this is what's been setting up the scene coming to this story in Matthew 20. So if you've turned there, let's, let's read along together here. In Matthew 20, I'm, I'm picking this story up in verse 20. Where it says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of my two sons may sit at your right, and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were probably sitting there saying, I mean, these conversations about who's going to be the greatest kept coming up. And they were probably a little bit ticked off that they weren't the ones who first asked the question, can I have that position? Can I have that position? So they were indignant. Jesus called them together and said, he uses this as a teaching moment. And he says, you know that the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. And he gives this leadership lesson. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And he gives his example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When I think about this story, I see a determined, dedicated, and devoted mom. So what's wrong with these things? What's wrong about being ambitious for your family? Ambitious for your children? Of course, determination and dedication and devotion are great when they're aligned with God's purposes. But there can be tragic consequences when they're based on earthly pursuits, when they're not based on kingdom priorities. Let me give you a little illustration from, from our farm. Many of you know about a year ago, we, uh, we moved to a bungalow in the country. And when we moved in there, the previous owners, they had all kinds of animals. And uh, we helped them out with some transition stuff. There was a couple sheep and a goat that they asked us to look after for a little while. The sheep are still there. The goat is gone. Yeah. It was old. An old goat. And uh, I'm serious. It was an old goat. 
And then there was two ponies on the farm. You see, the previous owners, they were really passionate about these, these ponies called Newfoundland ponies. And they're kind of an endangered breed in Canada. There's only like 300 of them left. And they're really amazing. They're a unique pony. And they had a stallion there. And then they had this little guy. I want to introduce him to him. Here's a picture. His name is Ensign. And here's a picture of Ensign. Doesn't he have a cute face? There's Ensign the pony. And for those of you who are Star Trek fans, you'll remember the title Ensign, right? Ensign Crusher. Well, Ensign is a naval term, and it's a term used for a low-ranking official. All right? Well, the story goes on that we, we were helping out with boarding these two ponies, and, and we hit the fall about November time, and the owner came to me and said, you know what, Steve, I'm going to sell Ensign. I've got some people coming over to look at him. Well, by that time, the family had fallen in love with this pony. And you know how the story goes. Oh, Dad, you can't let them sell Anson. Oh, Steve, you can't let them sell Anson. And so I broke down, and we worked out a situation so Anson could stay. So Anson's our little Newfoundland pony. Ensign, the little pony who's the lowing, lowest rank. Here's the problem with Ensign. He doesn't understand his name. He thinks he's at the top of the food chain. He thinks he's the brigadier general. He thinks he's in charge of the whole place. Well, the story goes on that just a week ago, um, there was a, uh, a lady who gave us um, this other horse. She asked if we would take care of him, and I want to introduce him. His name is Acadian. Now, Acadian is a thoroughbred, and he is huge. Um, he, he's, his back stands about here. He's over 16 hands, and you have to look up at him. Even Dave Dean. I don't know if Dave... Dave Dean is 6'6". Six, six. I don't think Dave Dean could look in his eyes. Acadian is huge, and he comes from a really interesting history. Um, he was born over here at Winchester Farms, you know, part of the E.P. E. Taylor um, estate of raising great horses. Uh, his father was a champion, Lord at War. Isn't that a great name for a stallion? Lord at War. Well, that was his dad, a champion racehorse. And his mom comes from horse royalty. His mom is actually in the lineage of Northern Dancer. How many of you have heard of Northern Dancer? Yeah, all kinds of you. Yeah, famous Winchester farm horse. And so this is Acadian. I mean, he's the real deal. The guy is huge, and he's, he's got some serious history. Well, Acadian arrives on the farm last week, and of course, little Ensign. I got to show you the picture of these two guys side by side. I mean, look at the difference. <laughs> Ensign is half the size of Acadian. He just towers over him. But Acadian thinks, I'm the big guy. I'm 20 feet tall. This is my place. I want you to know that I'm in charge. And we see all this crazy behavior between Ensign as he's starting to get socialized with this great big... I mean, Acadian could just go like this, and Ensign would be done. You see, Ensign has forgotten his place. Ensign has forgotten his size. I wonder about this. Isn't there a lot of that pony in all of us? We forget who we are, and we make things about position and status. Well, you see, this was a huge issue for the disciples. Huge issue for them. They kept having these conversations about rank and authority and position. But let's face it, it can be a huge issue for us. It can be a huge issue 
in families. Jesus had just, remember, had given these recent lessons about humility. I mean, he's talking about children, and he's saying, let the children come. And, and here's the example. You need to humble yourself like a child. That's how you can become great in the kingdom of God. And then as it reflects on the story of the rich young ruler, he says, many are going to be first. Many who are, think they're first are going to be last. And many who are last are going to be first from a kingdom perspective. And Peter's like this, well, yeah, but Lord, what about us? What are we going to get? And Jesus continues to press this point. You need to serve as I am serving. You need to be a humble servant. Well, here's this story. Salome is in the midst of this. Despite all the teaching sessions that Jesus has had with his group of followers and the disciples, we have this helicopter mum. I see some mums smiling. You know what I'm talking about. We've got this mum, Salome, who's looking out for the best interest of her boys. I mean, come on. Her boys were special. You know, James and John. I mean, they had their own nickname. They were part of the fancy trio of Peter, James, and John. I mean, they got taken to the transfiguration. And they see all these amazing things. They, they experienced the glory of Jesus as he was transfigured. His, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became like white. I mean, they saw Moses and Elijah. They witnessed the bright cloud and then this voice from heaven saying, This is my son with whom I am well pleased, whom I love. Listen to him. Her boys were special. Isn't that something that all of us as parents often do? As grandparents, come on, my grandchild. There's no one like my grandchild. That little Malachi, he's special. I know your grandchild's beautiful. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But my grandchild. Well, helicopter mom sees an opportunity. See, Jesus has talked about thrones and rewards and all this kind of stuff. And rather than getting the message about what it means to be a servant leader, she jumps in and takes the opportunity to make the ask. This is the time to make the ask. And we see her come in, and the scripture tells us that she bows. She kneels before Jesus. She takes a posture of humility, but her question has no connection to her posture. Aren't we like that sometimes? We come in to worship, we're talking to the Lord, and we're saying, Oh, Lord. You know how much I love you. I just have this one little thing to ask. But you know how much I love you. Look what I did yesterday for you. <laughs> and this is what Salome did. She comes before the Lord and she says, I just have this one favor. You know how loyal I am. You know how I've served you. You know how I love you. And she makes the ask. I like position for my boys, Lord. One to sit on your right and one to sit on your left. She was asking Jesus to make her two boys key officials. Key officials. A place of authority and position and privilege and responsibility. Maybe security. Now aren't those things, things like privilege and security and responsibility, aren't those things good things to ask? Isn't it okay that Salome the mom asked that? Can't be all that bad to ask Jesus to let her boys serve with him. But here's the problem. The problem is when we take dedicated ambition and devotion and it's misaligned with God's values, with his kingdom priorities, 
then we have a disconnect. If our priorities are based on earthly values compared to kingdom values, now that ambition and dedication and loyalty has a disconnect. For Jesus has said over and over and again that leadership and responsibility and service are not about personal gain. You see, Salome and the boys, and the boys were part of the problem. This wasn't just a helicopter mum problem. The boys were clearly part of this problem. They were caught into the temporary idea of what it meant to be part of Christ's kingdom. So you see, this was not about true faith on Salome's part. This was not about sacrificial dedication of her as a follower. It was about maternal pride. It was about jealous ambition apart of her and the boys. And so perhaps she was even thinking politically, hey, this is the time to make the ask of Jesus. I'm going to make the play before anybody else does. All of us have to be careful of that. Not just moms. We get caught up into the earthly, the temporary, the values of today rather than kingdom priorities, rather than Christ's priorities and values. We're often looking for position. We're often motivated by pride. In verse 22, of course, Jesus responds to the problem. I love his response. Look at verse 22, how Jesus responds to Salome and the two boys. And he makes a corrective response. It's a rebuke, but he does it with grace. And the first thing that he says is, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to drink my cup? And that idea of a cup was a metaphor. It, it meant, are you prepared to go where I'm going to go? Are you prepared for the consequences, my lot in life, whether it's blessing or adversity? And of course, the two sons of thunder say right away, yes, we can, Lord. Are you prepared? Yes, we can, Lord. No problem. We got it covered. Just pass the cup along. We'll take a drink not understanding what Jesus was really asking of them. And Jesus then again takes another teaching moment to show the boys this. And he responds with saying that those positions are based on the authority of God the Father. He helps them understand even his relationship in the Trinity to God the Father. And he says two things. First of all, those positions are for whom God has chosen and secondly, whom God is preparing. You see, Jesus was showing the boys and mom that to be near him meant a call to share in his suffering. Hear Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus had already taught them this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, Jesus turns this around. He takes the ask for earthly crowns, for earthly positions, for earthly authority, and he answers that request with a call to sacrifice and to servanthood. What happens when, men's with, when, when moms mess up? We started talking earlier. Moms are great. They're fantastic. We're honoring them today. But moms aren't perfect. And here we have a story of a mom who messes up. 
She's a follower. She's a supporter. She's a champion of Christ. She wants what's best for her boys. But the problem is she's pursuing with the wrong motives. Well, the good news is the story doesn't finish there. It's kind of unfortunate that in most Christian circles, Salome is most remembered for this mistake. She's remembered as the mom who made the bad ask. Can my boys have this position? The good news, though, is that's not the end of Salome's story. I want to take you to, to two other places for a moment. And here's what's really cool. Despite knowing the implications and the cost of being a disciple, Salome and her boys press forward with Christ as de dedicated and determined, devoted followers of Christ. See, when Jesus was talking about, yes, you will drink of my cup, she could have made a choice. The boys could have made a choice to say, you know what? If this is going to cost me something, if this journey is going to be tough, if I'm going to lose my life, I think we'll go back to the fishing business. Let's go back and give Dad a hand. That's what could have happened. But instead, we see a couple neat things about the story after this moment in Salome and the boy's life. Look at Mark 15, verses 40 and 41 with me. The next scene that we see Salome recording is in this passage in Mark. And it says this, some women, now the scene is the crucifixion. That's the scene right now. Some women were watching, watching the crucifixion from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. Salome was there watching the crucifixion. She was there at the cross. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come with him to, to Jerusalem were also there. Mar we see here that Mary and Salome and some of the other women stuck with the journey right to the cross. But even beyond there, look at the next chapter, Mark 16. In the first verse, seven verses there, we read this. Mark 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, there she is again, brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he was laid? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. What an amazing legacy. Though Salome messed up in this encounter with Jesus, asking for something that wasn't based on kingdom priorities, we see that she goes the distance with Jesus, bringing her sons along with her, despite the personal potential consequences to her, and despite the possible consequences for her family. You see, Jesus really did mean something when he said, you will indeed drink my cup. It's recorded for us in Acts 12, 1 and 2, that James was the first disciple to be martyred, killed by Herod. And then, of course, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, 9, 
we see John as the last record of the disciples, exiled to the island of Patmos. So in this moment where the mom messed up, where Salome messed up, makes the ask, and Jesus says there will, there will be something to come. She stays on the journey. She stays determined and dedicated and devoted, but now with a different set of priorities. You see, before, her family was first. But now, Christ is first. The order had changed. Christ was first. And now the decisions were made in lieu of Christ's priorities. Family was second. Moms, I have good news for you today. When we talk about moms not being perfect as great as they may be, the good news is this. Moms, you don't have to be perfect when you are following the perfect, sinless one. Dads, you don't have to be perfect. Sons and daughters, you don't have to be perfect. Sin, uh, singles, you don't have to be perfect. When all of us are following the perfect one, that's what it means to be a disciple, right? The good news here is that Salome didn't allow this moment, her mistake, to define her. And nor should we. When we sin, when we fail, when we mess up, if we allow God's word and his Holy Spirit to shape and to mold us, there's a legacy available for every one of us. Moms, do you want your kids to have a spiritual temperature that's hot? Dads, do you want a temperature that's on fire for Jesus? Grandparents, if you want your kids, grandkids to be spiritually hot, then get them close to the flame. And there's two practical things that you can do. The first has to do with your own personal, with my own, with our own personal spiritual vitality with Jesus Christ. You see, we have great example. We have great influence on our children. Some of you are here today and say, you know what, I'm not a mom. I'm not a dad. I'm a single. But some of you are spiritual moms and spiritual dads and spiritual grandparents. All of us have an opportunity, and you heard Kelvin at the beginning of the announcements, an opportunity to disciple children. All of us have a place, particularly moms have a very special place, and dads and grandparents, to be an example and to influence our kids. So that's the first thing, our own inventory of our spiritual vitality. The second is, in terms of getting them close to the flame, connecting to the body of Christ. We keep talking here in terms of our pastoral leadership of how important it is that we do this, that we gather together regularly to worship God and to learn from his words and gather in smaller groups where we can hold each other accountable and to pray for each other and to help each other with iron sharpening iron, with serving the body, the mission of Christ. There is strength and protection and nurturing in the body of Christ. We are here to come alongside families and to help families do what's happening in the home, what should be happening in the home, and that is to have an environment where kids get to know more about Jesus, where they learn about him. So there's a couple questions we want to ask ourselves. How many of you, first of all, like campfires? How many of you like a campfire? A good air, most of us, right? There's a couple challenges when you're trying to get a good campfire going. The first challenge is if your wood is wet. Here's my spiritual question. Is your wood wet? Moms, dads, grandparents, singles, Calvaryites, is your wood wet? Is your spiritual wood a little soggy from the world? 
from the priorities of the world, from sin, from temptation, distractions, is your wood wet? It's really hard to get a good campfire going when your wood is wet. The second illustration from a campfire, one of the things that will wreck a campfire is if you take all those hot coals and you start spreading them out. Right? It loses the energy. And sometimes I think in families, that's exactly what we can do. We can gather together. Our kids are in Faithland and they're in day camps and, and all the great things. But there's so many other things that are happening around them that we spread those hot coals out. And the fire doesn't burn as strong. Stronger together. I've learned another thing. I learned this from Scott Jeffrey. He was here at the first service. But when we first started camping together, we went with... Uh, some of Deb's brothers and family, and Scott Jeffrey would come. And whenever you wanted to have a good campfire, Scott knew what to do. And one of the things he would often do is grab the gasoline can. <laughs> Here's the point. More fuel is better when you want a hot fire, right? Pour the fuel on, moms and dads. Pour the fuel on, church. And fan those flames. Let's give our kids the very best opportunity. Now, we're not in charge of saving our kids. That's up to the Lord. But we are, cha- we are challenged and called to champion an environment where our kids have the best opportunity to fall in love with Jesus, to fall in love with his people, the church, the body, and to fall in love with his mission, which is making disciples. You see, we're all called, moms, you're called, to all-in discipleship. Salome put herself and her boys on the front line. She didn't turn away because of distracting priorities. She didn't turn back when she heard about the cost. She was faithful to the end. I'm going to invite our team to come up. I was reflecting on, as I was reflecting on her story, the the words of that older chorus came to mind. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's the legacy that this mom who messed up left us. That she made the choice to turn from the earthly values of position and significance and security and comfort, maybe pleasure, and instead to give her life and to lead by example for her boys to to live their life for Christ no matter the cost. You see, Christ's priorities are about sacrificial discipleship. Come and follow me. Deny yourself. That is not an earthly value. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to find your life, you're going to lose it in me, in Christ, in Christ alone. I'm going to invite all of us this morning to stand together as Jordan and the team come and lead us in this decision kind of song. Is Christ our reward? Is he our devotion? I pray that by God's Holy Spirit that his word would impact every one of us. That his word would impact all of us in such a way and encourage us to say, yes, I want to be like Salome. A mom who, though she messed up, was committed to following Christ no matter the cost. Amen. Let's just uh, bow our heads together for a moment and Mums, I really uh, had hoped today would be a day of encouragement for us. But rather than simply saying Happy Mother's Day, I think it's so important, mums, that, that you understand that God has a plan for you. He's put you in a place of influence. 
I think moms live in a world that's highly pressured. The great thing is that Jesus Christ understands that. And similar with the kind of grace that he extended to Salome, he extends it to us, to our families. And moms, he's saying, it's about my kingdom's work. My will be done. No matter the cost to you, no matter the cost to your families. Dads, the message is the same for us. Grandparents, church, it's the same. We're called to take up our cross and daily follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and you're here because your mom asked you to come. You haven't been here for a long time or maybe you've never been in church before. Maybe you've never heard the words of Jesus before. And the words of Jesus are simple. He says, come and follow me. Give up your life to follow me. If you've never made a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing better that you could do as a son or daughter, as a grandchild on Mother's Day, than to take the example of your mom and follow Jesus. To take the example of Salome and follow Jesus, no matter the cost. No turning back. We'd love to help you. Some pastors will be here at the front. Just come and talk to us. We'd love to share the message of the good news of Christ with you. I'm going to invite you to raise your heads and open your eyes. I'd love to see you as I leave you with this encouraging benediction from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, where it says this, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. And here's some good news. May he equip you with every good thing for doing his work. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Moms, we love you. Ladies, we love you. There is a gift for every lady here today. So girls, ladies, please as you leave, be blessed by this congregation who loves you. Thank you for what you do in, your, in our lives. Have a great Mother's Day. God bless you.